when the results came out, I was just like, I owe it all to God. Like I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't even finish eating my sandwich. I immediately dropped to my knees and gave him all the glory. Like, cause it wasn't, it wasn't me, Matt. You know what I mean? It wasn't me. You know that wasn't me. It wasn't nobody but God to make that happen. You know what I mean? Like I, poor, black, part of the underserved community, forgotten about a convicted felon, absolutely no money. It, it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Today we continue our series introducing you to the newest members of the Chattanooga City Council. Demetrius Coonrod is the new representative for District 9. In this episode, she shares her story, a journey that eventually led her to prison, and the long road back to her citizenship and winning Chattanooga's District 9 council seat. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I am your host, Matt Busby. Councilman Coonrod, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my, my guest today is newly elected District 9 representative, Demetrius Coonrod. And like I said, right now, you know, I'm trying to actually get all the new council members onto the podcast just to sort of introduce Chattanooga to you guys and, and really hear your vision for the city, for your mm-hmm. districts, and, and learn more about, more about you guys. So, you know, to begin with, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Have you, have you, are you from Chattanooga? I'm from Chattanooga originally. Um, you know, it's no secret. I love to talk about my past because it, it shaped me to the person that I am today. You know, I was a troubled youth. Um, grew up in housing developments, and we kind of bounced around the city. I almost kind of felt like as if we were homeless, you yeah. know. And uh, both my parents were addicted to drugs once the crack cocaine epidemic hit. Chattanooga, it just, it tore my family apart. So I found myself in a situation of having to be, as young as I was at that time, had to step up to the plate to make sure that my siblings were taken care of as well. So didn't really get to experience a lot of things that a normal child would um, because I had to make sure that we were surviving. We were able to eat and had the bare necessities to make it in life. And it just, you know, spiraled on to a, a much negative path as I got older. Yeah, well, before we get there, like, yeah. when was it? Was it the 80s? Yeah, so that was the 80s. That would have been the 1980s? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so, um, you know, take us into the to the 90s. You graduated from Central High School, is City. that correct? City. I graduated City. from City High School, yeah, in 1993. Okay. Yeah. Great school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, go, keep going, you know, t- talk us through, you know, your early adulthood, because I think, you know, one of the things I'm most interested about your story is hearing where you came from and some of the trouble you went through yeah. and to who you are now, I'm, I'm really excited about it. To me, you know, when I read about it and I've talked to some other people, it, it just seems like one of the most beautiful redemption stories in our city right now. And I really want people to kind of hear the full weight of that story. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go back to the 90s. So I graduated from 90, in 93 and then I kind of got caught up even more in the system of um, trying to find a place to live on my own and that led me to the housing development path Um, and was given that opportunity at 18. But at 18, it's like, how do you even know how to become a, you know, a renter or what do you do? What do you expect? I didn't even know how to cook a meal and I had Mm. three kids at this time. Wow. And, um, well, I ended up going into the West Side Housing Development, my first opportunity that was given to me. 
And I remember she said the rent was $25. So I was like, oh, $25? I can get $25 to pay rent, you know, but didn't quite really understand what I was getting myself into. And that, that kind of started my path of uh, my adulthood, early adulthood. Dude. I got involved with a young guy that was out there. And of course, the money was good, the flashing of everything. And I wanted to be a part of that scene. So it was, well, I knew that I could make some money and I knew that people in this community was, you know, had addiction and it would be a quick buck and then I can simply survive. Cause that's what was happening. Everybody around me was doing the exact same thing. No one was thinking about, let's go to college to further our education or let's, let's get a job or let's, you know, how are we gonna make sure that our children don't fall into this same way of life? Yeah. Because that was the way of life. That's right, and you you never even seen those sort of examples right. from the way you're describing your childhood. And exactly. Stuff, so, yeah. so I kind of, that's what I knew, so that's what I consumed to. And it led to, you know, domestic violence and for years and just trying to really find myself and finally started taking advantage of different opportunities uh, that was presented, different classes, um, dotted votes. I don't know if anybody's still familiar with her, but uh, of course I was on assistance at that time and they had a program for funding too that if you wanted to become an EKG or phlebotomist or you know any of those kind of things that you can go through the training for six weeks and then after that completion you'll get a certificate, have a little small graduation ceremony and then placement for job assistance. From there, so I took the phlebotomy course, and then I got a job at Blood Assurance. Okay. So excited, you know, because now I'm on a whole different path now. Yeah. And the group of people that worked there was so, because of course I was different from everybody else. I had done travel a different path, but they accepted me for who I was, and they poured into me to make sure that I was trying to, you know, my needs were met. If it's, I needed transportation to work, they would come pick me up, make sure I got the work took me to church with them, you know, meals and different things like that. And it was just a great work environment. Well, I couldn't leave this individual, mm -hmm. you know, the guy that I was messing with, that no matter how I tried to struggle, it still consumed me. Yeah. And um, I just ended up going back to jail, back and forth, getting in trouble, and still trying to maintain, you know, another lifestyle with working at Blood Assurance. And I finally was able to leave him alone. But... After I left him alone, I still, you know, struggled with trying to find out who I really was mm -hmm. and what I, what exactly that I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and that kind of stuff. And I kind of got out of the street life a little bit and then end up going to even better jobs. But what happened was I ended up getting with another guy. It's like it's, you would have mm -hmm. thought that I would have learned my lesson, you know what I mean? But I was just like, why do I keep getting this kind of guy in my life? Why well, I just can't get a guy that God fearing now that I look back on it. But it's like those guys was I was attracting that kind of fella. And even though I was, you know, trying to get on the path of trying to do right, I just couldn't get it done for whatever reason. I think it was a, some more lessons that I needed to, you know, kind of learn or whatever. And, kind of got caught up with this guy and I let him use my car and they went on a series of robbing sprees and ended up going to federal prison. And I was just like, man, but while I was inside of those walls, you know, it just took me back to my roots of my grandmother where she kept us in the church. Mm -hmm. So I had to reestablish my relationship with God, you know, and just had a deep conversation. And I knew then that he was really rearing me, you know, <laughs> because this, he had to place me and I looked at it differently. It wasn't yeah. that I was just 
incarcerated. He had to get me to a situ in a situation where I could begin to hear him. Yeah. Because I wasn't hearing him on the streets. You know, I, I wasn't, that line of communication just wasn't open. I don't know if people understand that we say we we pray and God hears and but I felt like he wasn't hearing me and I wasn't hearing him. Mm -hmm. It took me to have to be taken away from everybody yeah. and placed in a, a situation where I had no choice but to leave. Yeah. Well, you know, looking back on sort of your early adulthood and that experience with men, you know, what kind of advice do you have for for young women today when that are in situation you kind of find yourself you found yourself in you know this was 20 years ago now yeah I, my best advice is that when you recognize those signs leave mm -hmm. <laughs> leave then don't there's no and what i found myself doing is i made excuses for every time i was hit or every time he took something from me every time it was always an excuse to try to cover up for what he done was wrong like mm -hmm. and i found myself accepting it and apologizing for something that i know that was wrong and i watched my mom go through it yeah. Even with my dad, it was just a domestic violence type situation, and it was, I would see her eyes swollen and shut closed, put in the hospital. You know, just I almost left for dead a couple of times, and I watched that growing up, mm -hmm. and and I, it seemed like that was the relationship that I kind of went to, migrated to, because to me it was this got to be love, because if my mama went through it and stayed in it. In all these years, this must be what love's supposed to look oh, like. Oh wow! You know, yeah. so I didn't have that real feeling of what love was. Mm. Didn't even have an experience of the true hugs, or you know, just a natural kiss, or embracing to truly express love, or yeah. even just hearing those words. That went, and it took me a while to get used to somebody saying, "Hey, Demetrius, you know, I really love you." Mm. And really knowing that this person actually mean it because we didn't hear it. Well, and having a picture of what that means, <laughs> right? That or didn't involve somebody done it. It was or... love that was presented to me was either you was getting a whooping, a beating, some kind of way, or you was. It was something happening that that was a negative picture of love yeah. in my picture. In yeah. My mind. So, you know, you, you get um, a conviction, you go off to federal prison. Mm -hmm. what, was, um, what, what was your mindset in coming back to Chattanooga after that? Like, what, what, what changed? Uh, how did you approach Man, that? I was just like, I cannot go back living the way that I was. I can't, you know, I took my life away. Yeah. Everything, like, I wasn't even considered a citizen anymore. Yeah. It was like, what can you do to come out? You can't vote, you can't bear arms, you can't, you know, it was all this list of everything that you could not do. And I was thinking to myself, well, what can I do? I mm -hmm. mean, can I even walk down the street? Like, what's going on? I, I most definitely didn't want to live like that. Then I had to think that, you know, I got two young kids that did not know me when I went to prison. I got to build a relationship with them. And I, I got to be able to be a parent to them. Like, I have to do things differently. So how can I make this work? So that was so my plan. that was 2010, correct? You get... and two, I came home in 2008. Okay. From 2008 to today, where now you're, you know, just elected to the city council. You, so you go from having, you know, no rights, no voting rights, um, you know, lack of citizenships, to, mm -hmm. to now. Walk us through that journey. Like, how, how did you go from that to now you're sitting on city council of Chattanooga? Man, it was just, you know what, an awesome journey, I gotta say. Even though it was obstacles in the way, but it just kept me persistent because I knew I couldn't fail. I couldn't let my kids down. These two individuals that had no clue who I was and we building a relationship and I couldn't 
let them down any longer. I had to let my older kids down, you know, mm-hmm. so I couldn't. I had to try to make it right. Um, but just I started speaking up on different issues in the community and and I, I started to see things a little differently mm-hmm. and, and just showing or talking and telling everybody else about it. Like, hey, let me show you something different. Do you not see this? This is what's happening. And it, it took a minute for people to kind of catch on to it. And I got, oh, she's just angry. She's mad. Or why she want to come disrupt what we got going on? I had to cut off my family members. It was no longer that, you know, I didn't want to participate in certain activities. And I just did not want it to be around me. And if you weren't, you know, speaking positive things or doing positive things or at least trying to do something better, I had to eliminate you out of my life because Mm -hmm. it was going to hold me back. And I had a mission that I was trying to accomplish. So just getting out in the community, talking to different people about different issues, started researching on, you know, how I can get my voting rights back, started crying about it. And, you know, just understanding the importance of why I needed to vote. Yeah. And, you know, how I can move legislator and it, legislation. And if I can get everybody else to do the same thing, like, we can really change things in a positive way. And just, I got introduced to a guy named Al Chapman. And this was once I lost my fiancé due to gun violence. Mm. And I remember I called to the city of Chattanooga like, hey, some can you help me? I'm trying to do a Stop the Violence program or block party and you know can somebody help me and they kind of went around the, the block or two before somebody said well hey let me introduce you to this great guy Al Chapman and at that time he worked inside of the city hall and we I called him up and I was like hey do you just have a, a couple of seconds a few minutes and he kind of was like well what, what do you want to be for you know <laughs> that kind of stuff and I was just like well I just want to share an idea with you. I need some help. You know, can you help me? They told me you was the guy to come to. Didn't have a clue who this guy was. And he said, well, you got 15 minutes to get to City Hall. And I was like, okay, well, I'll be there. After I hung up the phone, I kept saying, how can I get to the City Hall? I don't have a car. I don't have any money. I don't have anything. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to call the cab. And I called the cab. And I told him where I was going to, so we pulled up in front of City Hall, and I said, well, can you just wait for a minute while I go in to tell the guy I'm outside? So I go in, and I tell him, I said, well, I caught a cab. I need you to pay the cab. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he was just like, who catch a cab and tell somebody else they have to pay? <laughs> so we kind of laughed about it, and I paid, and then, of course, I wasn't dressed how he thought I should have been dressed. I had on some oversized sweatpants or a oversized t-shirt and some tennis shoes and he just kind of looked like wait a minute and I explained to him what happened and and what forced me basically to um, get on this path and that I wanted to reach out to everybody else because it affected me and it's affecting everybody else as well so we got to do something and I want to be the one to step out there I want to change I want my family to change I don't I don't want to keep living like this yeah and so he helped me. I guess he saw that sincerity, and I told him, he said, well, how much money you got? I told him, I don't have a dime. <laughs> I don't have a dime. I just know it's something that we need to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all I knew. It was something that we need to do. So he began to connect me to different things and introduce me to different other opportunities and telling me to get involved on different boards. And I would research it, ask questions about it, and go and, you know, ask questions that I'm new and just asking people, hey, can you help me along yeah. the way? And I was inspired by Russell Bean once I found out he was a judge and he was also a convicted felon. I was like, oh, 
so we can, you know, yeah. continue to do things. So I was kind of did the research on that and started asking the, the important questions. Like, hey, let me, and at first, of course, people were still slamming doors in my face until they realized this young lady is serious. Mm. And I just stayed persistent, yeah. got in touch with different lawyers, was shared to, with other people to say, hey, let's let's get our rights restored. Let's become get our citizenship rights restored. And of course, there will be naysayers. I just want to stay in my own zone. I want to go under the radar. I don't want, I got a job. I don't want to be bothered. And I was saying, man, just think about all the people who say that. But if you come out from under the radar yeah. and start talking about it, more people going to come forth. And yeah. I guess we can create a whole movement. So I decided I wanted to be the one to lead by example. You know, I prayed about it and say, Lord, if it's your will, you know, just say, let me know what it is you want me to do. And then I just took myself out of it because if it was me, I would have just kept going. But I sure. wanted to hear God say, I got you, you know, move yeah. forward. And, and it just, it was like a lighted path just started happening to connect me here. I don't know if you understand it, you know, <laughs> but I was just like, man, this is truly amazing. I just started beginning to feel hopeful. Okay. Speak it into existence, and then it just simply happened. <laughs> yeah. What is the genesis of your idea to run for for city council? Like, how did where did that come from? I mean, have you ever ran for any kind of other office? Or I haven't ran okay. for another. Well, just outside of school stuff. You know, yeah. you want to be the class president, or you want to be over student government, that kind of stuff. I was always interested in it. Yeah. But never thought about being a city council until Terrence got killed. And then when I that was your fiance, yeah. Okay. And so when I started seeing, well, who are my representatives? I didn't even know them. Yeah. I know we had got somebody to sit on the city council. We got somebody on county commission and somebody on the school board. But who are these people? Like I don't ever see them. Yeah. So some they began to tell me, hey, you know, it's neighborhood association meetings, really? But nobody <laughs> isn't inviting me to it. So I need to find out which neighborhood association meeting to go to, or what you know. That's how I found out there's different communities had. Yeah. neighborhood groups so which one I would attend to when I started going to those neighborhood meetings and asking questions and then saying well hey why you know who is my city council representative who how do we get in touch with them do they come to the meeting can we invite them to the meeting what can we ask them you know what are they responsible for and I uh, we spoke with at the time Greg Beck he was the county commission so I had done, somebody told me to call him. But when I called him, he was like, you got to learn the chain of command, young lady. You need to go to the city. Well, who is the city council? <laughs> <laughs> who is this? They just told me to call you. So it'll be, it was that kind of thing. And then finally, you know, I found out who he was. I would talk to him and ask those good questions. Can I come meet with you? Can I come shadow you? Can I, you know, once I did that so many times and I finally said, you know what? I think I want to run against you. Joke. <laughs> I think I want to run against you. I want to, and they, he just kind of, and at this time I was in District 5. Okay. Because they, the zoning, they rezoned us out and then we became nine. Well, my part of Eastdale was all in five. So Russell Gilbert, I remember him saying, now I done did everything I can to help you. And now you telling me you want to run against me? I was like, yeah, I think I can do it. You yeah. know, I think I can do it. So I would come to every city council meeting and I'd be like, hey, Russell, you know, and he would just be smiling and nodding his head. And I was like, yeah, I, I want to come hang out with you again. And he was like, do you think I'm going to let you hang out with me now? You said to me, you're going to take my seat. And now you guys serve together. Yeah. That's incredible. It was just awesome. So then when they drew the line and put me in nine, I was like, 
Now am I going to run against you? You know, take your seat now. If I'm in a whole nother district, I don't even know these people in this district. I done studied this district. It was, it was really funny. So I had to, you know, kind of get the other, know the other neighborhood associations in District 9, try to work on different projects together, you know, sharing ideas. How can we make our district better? Yeah. So everyone can have, you know, the ability to work, live, and play. Everybody can be successful as a whole for the whole city. How can we help? We, what are the needs that we not sort of address that kind of stuff? Man? All right, well, you know, I, th I feel like I would be remiss, you know, not to ask you some questions about the actual election yeah. because I, it, it was one of the hotly contested districts mm -hmm. where legitimately there was, you know, you had four people running. Three of them felt like they had a really good shot. Yeah. And, uh, and so talk about, talk about that. And, uh, Man, it was just really a crazy and a fun time. And yeah. I, I probably was... They probably were still trying to figure out me and why was I so friendly and nice to everybody and why I wasn't just grudging it out, you know. But Pat Benson and I had actually talked about the race maybe two years before the race even started that okay. we were both in it. He was like, I'm interested in running and I know you're interested in running. We'll talk about it and let, well, let's run together. Let's help each other. So at this, it was just us two at first because, of course, I was thinking that Yusuf was going to not run again, that he was going to go ahead and go to the next level. And Pat Benson and I, we had talked about John running, and we was like, well, now it's four of us going to be in the race. So what we going to do? We got to come up with a strategy. If it's going to be you and I, we got to knock two people out the race. Well, I had to come up with a strategy to try to beat three men. Like, how am I going to beat these three men and I don't have any money? Like, clearly they come from money and they got their own money. Or, and in Yusuf's case, he's been around for mm -hmm. centuries. I mean, you know, he's been around. So how do I get rid of a very known incumbent who got ties politically everywhere? And get rid of two people who come from money, who and who has that support and backing. How do I do that? So what I done was just say, you know what? I got this. I ain't got no money. I'm just gonna grassroot it out. So people want to know who you know. They want you to come knock on their door. They want you to engage in conversation with them. They they don't want you to just walk up to them and say, Hey, I'm running. Can you give me a dollar or two? Mm. And I thought about that. How can I ask them for some money for a campaign contribution when they can't even afford groceries yeah. or they can't even afford transportation? They can so I thought about it like that. In my household, I'm only limited to so what funds I can I have just to make it through the month. So I know I don't if I don't have any extra money, sure they probably ain't gonna have no. So that's how I kind of looked at it, and um, I just marketed like that and just talked about the true issues of the district and what's happening and related myself, like, hey, this happened to me. This is what I had to go through. And it's when you think about your son, your daughter, you know, the struggles that they going through and even what you went through yourself. Mm -hmm. We talked about, you know, the lack of affordable housing. Who's talking about this kind of stuff? We talking about the gentrification that's happening. We we talking about our children killing each other, the, you know, failing school system the drug activities that's taking place on our corner and now Miss Sarah's scared to come outside. You know, we talked about that kind of stuff. And um, I think people just, you know, caught on and started thinking once you touch on them feelings, like, man, this is this is really happening. It's, you know, and then I put it back on my community. I can't do it alone. I'm gonna need you. We gotta work together. 
I'm not this polished politician, none of that stuff. So, and I was relatable, always transparent. And uh, so all through the race, I kept a smile on my face, you know, even talked about my opponents and how great of people that they were, you know, and if they win, if it's a runoff between them and I, can you support me or whoever? You know, we talked about that kind of stuff. And if I win, we still can work with the same individual. So I think that was a different twist. But at the beginning, I had to just focus on getting to the runoff. You know, how you got to feel like, if I could just make it to this milestone, then I know I got the rest of it. So yeah. I mean, it was going to be nearly impossible for yes, anybody to get over 50%. I couldn't get it. I said, I knew I can't take I can't take the whole shebang, even though yeah. people in the uproar and won't change us. But I know I, I just don't have enough momentum to take the whole thing, mm. even though I wish I could have. <laughs> but <laughs> I knew I couldn't do that. And so when they let, so I was already prepared for a runoff, but just didn't know who would make the runoff. Once I made the runoff, I was just like, man, you know what? I'm really tired. Like, I want to rest. I want to go to sleep. (laughs) I just want to take a nap and eat a good meal. Mm. That was my initial thought when everybody else around me was like, well, it's between you and Yusuf. You got to get back out and and beat the pavement. And for me, I was just like, I want to rest. Like, I said, I've done everything I need to do. And they was looking at me like, you sound like a fool. And I was like, no. I'm telling you, I've done what I needed to do. I said, y'all more worried than I am. They was like, I can't believe you just not worried. I said, I'm honestly not. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, I even before the election, I got to go back to this. And I like Moses. And I was in my mind, I was like, you know what? I don't even want to knock on doors or make calls anymore for my district. I want to come help you knock on doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, wow. You got to campaign yourself, and you saying you don't even want to concentrate on you. You want to come help me? I say, yeah, because I've heard so many great things about you. I want the opportunity to serve. And who is that for? This was for Moses okay. and Detroit. Yeah. Even though I'm for Anthony, yeah. but I just want to share that moment with you. Mm-hmm. You know. So he was like, oh, okay. So we knocked on a few doors together, and that was it. Like, I've always wanted to, so I just done it. Yeah. And in my mind... I was like, well, I, I don't want to worry about my district. I'm done with that. I done done as much as I, as I can, and people couldn't understand that. So, again, back to the the runoff, I was just like, man, I need a good week to relax and, yeah. and just get my thoughts together and to pray about it, and then I want to get back out there kind of thing. So, finally, when we got back out there, it was we just started hounding the pavement again, knocking on doors, revisiting where we you know was at before previously making sure we made the phone calls. And so finally I said, you know what? People tired of us calling. We, we got to stop calling them. Let's get more visibility out. Let's just go out in the community and hang out with them and see what's going on. And they got tired of the door. You know how people just was like, man, leave me alone. Like mm-hmm. straight up, I done made up my mind. It was to that point. So once I realized District 9 residents was tired of that process, I was like, I'm done. It's, yeah. it's nothing more that we can do when you start hearing Leave me alone. Yeah. You done called me a million and one times. You done knocked on my door several times. You interrupted my lunch, my dinner. I'm trying to look at TV. You can't do anything else but cease, right? And so when election day came for the runoff, I was just like, everybody just started coming up to me. It was like a whole different 
atmosphere that day. It was like, young lady, we rooting for you. You got our vote. I'm talking about it was like person after person after person after person after person. And I was just like, wow, thank you. Every person that came up, I thanked them for coming out the vote. I appreciated their support, even if they didn't vote for me. I still was like, thank you for coming out. I greeted them, gave them a hug. We're going to work together to get this done. And when the results came out, I was just like, I owe it all to God. <laughs> like I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't even finish eating my sandwich. I immediately dropped to my knees and gave him all the glory. Like, because it, it, it wasn't me, Matt. You know what I mean? It wasn't me. You know that wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't nobody but God to make that happen. You know what I mean? Like, I poor, black, part of the underserved community, forgotten about a convicted felon, absolutely no money. It, it wasn't me. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's amazing. I, you know, I, what I love actually hearing you describe this is the sort of relationship you had with your opponents, with, with other people, to, to be friendly through the entire process. And actually, I feel like after interviewing Councilman Ledford, that this is going to be a theme with these new, with you new city council members is your yeah. incredible ability to work with each other Absolutely. Um, and excitement to do so. And to give credit to what you're saying as far as being friendly with your opponents, Something that I was so impressed with is over Easter weekend when John Kearns wrote the opinion piece for the Times Free Press yeah. coming out in, in, you know, in your defense. You know, because there was, there was some articles that came out to highlight your past yeah. with no context. It was just saying, this is what's happened. Yeah. And, and then John came out with this opinion article in Times Free Press saying, listen, this isn't a surprise anybody who's running against her, and this we should be celebrating what's happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is such an amazing success story that we, yeah. um, that we want to be able to celebrate where you've come from to where you are now. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I was, you know, super excited about John for writing something like that about somebody he ran against. Yeah. Yeah, I was so, when I saw it, I was just like, wow, John thought enough of me to even write how he felt on pay, you know what I mean? So that just let me know that our relationship was solid because we talked about, you know, all kind of things. I called John to be like, hey, John, let me tell you, let me just share this with you. This is what happened on my campaign trail, knocking on, have you had this to have? We carried on conversations, encouraged each other. It was like, it wasn't supposed to be like that from a lot of people looking in. If mm-hmm. you're running against each other, why are you encouraging politics each other? Politics shouldn't be like this. Yeah, yeah and, but and this is amazing. It's draining. As far as that's what people think. Politics yeah, shouldn't be this way. And it's, but we changed it. I know I changed it, at least, because I, each person that was on this campaign trail, we needed to be encouraged. Mm-hmm. And even when I felt myself like getting frustrated or want to give up, I thought about my opponents. I know if it's happening to me. I know they're experiencing the same way, too. So just a simple text of, hey, you got this, keep going, keep pushing. You know, they probably didn't understand why I done that then, but we we just needed to support each other. Well, speaking of, you know, the this, your district, you know, tell, tell me about your district. Paint me a picture of District 9. And, and I don't necessarily mean statistics. I think we can all look up the statistics. But, right. um, you know, sort of, yeah, give us a vivid image of, of your district. Well, District 9 is, is very diverse. Highland Park is most, de- that's in my district, a portion of it is most definitely thriving and growing and, and getting a new set of people with different values and morals in the community that bring a different um, look to the community, you know. So that's, that's very different. And a lot of people, we still trying to get to see how can we get that spread it all out through the district. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. it's for me. Um, 
It's a lot of crime in the East Chattanooga area and Eastdale community. What I found out about Missionary Ridge is a lot of their problems are the exact same mm. as our problem. They had the same issues, even though we think if you live on Missionary Ridge, you got all this money. But a lot of people don't. A lot of them are struggling, just like somebody in the inner city would be struggling, right? So when you think about the road conditions and you think about the crime that's happening and you think about the lack of affordable housing that's even on Missionary Ridge, that's needed yeah. because you have a lot of people that's retired. So they're not making the money that they were once um, in their lifetime. Um, grocery stores, limited, you know, it's a food desert. That's why it's important to me to teach communities how to grow food. Yeah, as far as I can tell, in this, is, is there even a single grocery store in your district right now? Not at all. Wow. Yeah. Not a grocery store at all. We have like little corner markets, convenience stores, Rite Aids and little stuff like that. but. Nothing or what you could just got this massive grocery store. Well, what do, what do you love about District Nine? Oh, what I love about District Nine is that it's a community that I, you know, pretty much know like everybody. Even when you think about districts, and I had to get to know it as a district, but I said before I even knew it was a district attached to it. Like, oh, I know so and so who live in East Chattanooga, Glenwood, because these were the areas that I will frequently run up and down. But it's it's great family. You know, that atmosphere, community together. It's like, even if you're struggling, you're still together. You're going to struggle together. And then you got those neighbors that's like, hey, how can I help kind of thing. I'm going to tell your mama. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, And I love that um, the older population is still there and can give you a bit of that history that you need every now and then to remind you <laughs> yeah. of why you need to do something different or where you come from. So... That's what I like, the churches that's in the district, you know, that are now opening up their doors more than just on Wednesdays and Sundays. That's good. So that's needed. Um, and then the churches are getting involved more, not just to bring the gospel, but they want to bring it out in the street to make sure we're touching in every aspect. So if it's education, if it's social services, if it's leadership, you know, they bring it out in the street. And that's what I like. That's what I love about it. What do you, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing Chattanooga? I think the biggest challenge is um, economic mobility for all people. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. We got to be able to create opportunities for everybody to be successful. And if we're going to be a city to say we want safer streets, smarter students, you know, thriving neighborhoods, we got to make sure that's happening for everybody, not just certain portions yeah. of the district. We got to be able to make sure that we have affordable housing um, for everybody to live in. You know, I, I love the concept of the short-term vacation rentals, but what's, what fears me the most about it is that if we have so many people buying properties to make them in the short-term vacation rentals, then what's going to happen to the affordable housing market? Then it, citizens will no longer have the ability to rent anywhere, and it's already slim. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, kind of fearful about that, and hopefully we can come up with something to where we can stop it or just minimize the number in each neighborhood. Um, I think for me, it's just educating mm -hmm. District 9, not just District 9, but every poor community, to educate them to become homeowners. What would be the benefit of being a homeowners? If it's us, if you fear that gentrification, your community will be gentrified, how you can tackle zoning to make sure that things are set in place to where 
people can't come in and build condos or, or two-story condos locations or, or mixed-use housing. We want to keep it single-family homes or, you know, how to make sure that we're supporting our school system so our kids can be successful in school. So if it's putting them on the path to go to college or creating a trade, just make sure that we know as parents, these are the resources available for you, and we can't allow them to fail our kids. We can't allow them to fail parents. And most definitely let them know that the path to prison, that pipeline needs to stop. You know, we got to figure out a a different way or a different plan, and we got to start thinking outside of the box of, because I think a lot of people in the poor communities, we say, well, the government got funding for X, Y, and Z, when, okay, if you just got overlooked for this particular funding, we got to figure out how we can come together as a community and and bridge that gap with churches, the school system, businesses, and the community together to collaborate and make sure that, you know, communities are thriving. So you're the chair of the City Council's Youth and Family Development Committee. Yeah. Did you get to, did you get to pick that position? Is that something you're passionate about, or did you kind of inherit that? Yeah, I'm passionate about it, I, especially our early childhood education. And I think the role of the city, we can improve massively in that area. And for me, like with the recreation centers, youth and family development centers now, even if we make them into community schools, it can be just one day out of the week, make it into a community school and let that be the central hub of people coming in and getting whatever wraparound services that they need to have available for the whole family. We're going to take Wednesday, we'll say, and it's going to be the day that's just dedicated to family resources, making sure that you're successful. we helping you with a game plan. If it's resume writing, financial stability, if you want to learn how to cook, nutrition, whatever it is that you need, we want to make sure that you're successful. Because we can work all day on the kid, but if the kid go back home to that disruptive environment, what, what you think going to happen to the kid? Right. They're going to fall back to that, that norm for them, what is normal, even though we're trying to teach them something different. But if you can change the mentality of that whole family, we saving lives. So for me, it's one block at a time. Mm-hmm. If I can get everybody on this block straightened up, then we're going to be mentors to the next block and get everybody else together. So just creating that path of making, making sure everybody's successful. If, if somebody were to come and spend a day or an afternoon or an evening in District 9, what's like the one thing that sort of people wouldn't normally think about uh, that they should check out in District 9? Man, you gotta go to Mouse Place. He's got the best Nathan dogs. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you gotta come and just eat one. Like, yeah. hey, that's just come hang out and eat. Mouse Place. <laughs> yes, okay. he got the best. Yeah, and I love hot dogs. <laughs> that's my slow barbecue. Like, you got all kinds you can try, you know. And um, I'll just invite people to come and just check out District 9 to see what's going on in the district. The coffee shop, Sacra Coffee, great place to be in there. Um, and just reach out. to the, For me, it's just getting out in the community to, to get to know the neighbors, shake some hands with people that's different from you and, and just engage in conversations about how you can help anybody. On and Just speaking to them or, or hugging them or showing a ray of sunshine can change somebody's life. That's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here, Councilwoman. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. (laughs) Well, thank you so much to Councilwoman Coonrod for sharing her story with us and the vision she has for District 9. 
I can't tell you all how much I enjoyed this interview and getting to know Miss Coonrod. Hopefully after listening to this, you all are as excited as I am about her story and that we now have someone with her experience helping to steer our city forward. I do want to take a moment to apologize for the audio quality on this episode. Unfortunately, we couldn't schedule a time to use the studio, so we made do with a room that now I can tell is too close to the road. Also, I am moving the production schedule around for the podcast, slowing down to release an episode every other week rather than once a week. So in two weeks, you can be looking forward to our interview with District 8's new representative, Anthony Bird. If you guys have enjoyed this episode and this new series, then please take a moment and share this with a friend. You can do that at thecamphouse.com slash podcast. And from there, you can share it on Facebook or Twitter or through email. So thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you again in two weeks.